Hello and welcome to Stream It, the podcast where we explore movies, old favorites, new favorites, and every so often movies we love just a little bit less. This is our fifth episode and today we are going to be talking about Free Solo from 2018. As always, I am Zachary Ortz, I am one of your co-hosts, and I am joined by my good buddy Matthew Watkins. Hey Matt, how's it going? Uh, Pretty good, how about you? Good, good. Uh, excited to talk about our first movie that neither one of us have seen. The first movie neither of us have seen, and also our first documentary. Um, and, you know, it was a, an interesting experience for both of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's let's get right into it. Obviously, this is where we would normally talk about our personal history with the movie, but pretty clearly we don't have any of that. So I was thinking... Maybe we could talk about uh, how how much experience we have. How much experience do you have with rock climbing, or how much knowledge did you have of rock climbing before this movie? Yeah, um, I actually have a bit of experience with rock climbing. Um, you, pro- I've told you before, but uh, the audience, I'm sure, doesn't know that uh, I have spent a lot of time outdoors, um, and including like just living in the wild. Um, you know, off the grid for months at a time, um, with no connection to like modern technology. Um, and my dad was trained, uh, in army special forces. And so he is kind of a mountain man. And we spent a lot of time growing up, um, you know, climbing, camping, uh, in mountains constantly. So I have a lot of experience, uh, doing rock climbing, but never anything of this kind of magnitude. Um, <laughs> Certainly not. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and, and never done anything like free soloing and never, uh, you know, d- done any like major, uh, mountain climbing, um, like projects, but I do know my way around, you know, uh, uh the, uh, the basic, uh, climbing equipment. Cool. Yeah. My experience, I guess, is less than yours. I have been rock climbing at indoor rock climbing places. Um, And we actually used to do that. mm, I wouldn't say a lot, but like a low medium amount when we were kids and then did it with Boy Scouts a few times. And then one of our close friends, she teaches rock climbing or she used to before the pandemic. I don't think she still does. Uh, and we went to uh, to go rock climbing with her again inside one time. And then I hadn't been since I was a kid, which was like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years earlier. Mm-hmm. And I realized how incredibly difficult it was. <laughs> it was an exceptionally yeah. humbling experience. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. until this movie, I think the idea of climbing outside on not a rock climbing wall was, it just, I guess it still seems a little impossible to me, but I didn't even have the slightest understanding of how someone would even go about doing it. And the climbing they're doing in this film is just mind blowing. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to even put words to it. And so, you know, if you could see my face right now, I'm just, 
you know, it hurts my brain to even we broke think about. Yeah, the, yeah it, it broke me. It's hurts my brain to even think about some of the stuff that they're doing. This is, uh, you know, I with some experience of rock climbing, I see this and I just think, you know, the amount of uh, work that he puts into every detail is just just phenomenal. Um, I do want to add one thing here. Um, I actually did have an experience one time where a friend of mine fell off a cliff. Oh my God. And was hanging on the edge of a rock wall without any ropes or anything like that and hanging on. And then we had to make like a human chain down to pull him up off of the, off of the rock. So I have had that experience that, you know, connects with this film in a little bit. And it was terrifying. There was a river down below, you know, hundreds of feet. Um, oh and he was, you know, I don't know, 15 feet from, uh, from going off the edge of that down into the river. Um, and it was a, a little bit of an incline so we could make that human chain of about 12 people to grab him and pull him up. But yeah, it's a, so some, it was a terrifying experience. Yeah. Sounds like it. It does yeah. not, does not sound particularly fun. Uh, all right. So let's move on here. We also, we're not going to spend too much time on it because this movie came out in 2018, and uh, if you're from the far future or if you're the aliens going ahead and listening in, we're recording this in the year of our Lord 2021. So we're just three years removed and presumably most people listening to this remember the events of 2018. But there was one, a couple events in particular that you wanted to highlight, right, Matt? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, that- it is worth noting there was not a pandemic, you know, shutting down everything in the world at that time. So it's a little bit hard to remember exactly what it was like. We used to go outside and things like that. I don't know. It's a, that was interesting. Um, but the big events, there was um, one of the big events from earlier in that year was the shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Um, uh, also usually known as the Parkland shooting. Um and so that was one of the first big major uh, events of the year. Yep. Um, and the, I guess if you're listening in the far future, there'll I feel like this period of time will always feel like there was a turning point in November of 2016 when uh, Donald Trump was elected president. And then, so there there's like, the period of time in Donald Trump's presidency where before the pandemic and then the period uh, starting in March of 2020, right? Yeah, March of 2020 that is post-pandemic or I guess we still don't know (laughs) what what post-pandemic looks like. Mid-pandemic, yeah, yeah. exactly. So this, Um, this is coming out in the midst of Donald Trump's presidency and I'm... I tried to look up when they would have started filming the movie, but I couldn't find that information. But I'm guessing they started sometime early in 2016 or late 2015. It seems so, like it, yeah. It yeah. does seem like it. So, and, you know, it's worth mentioning for that. Just, you know, people listening in the future might have a hard time putting themselves in that headspace, but it was just every day, uh, just horrible news stories basically a constant stream of um of worries and um you know there was like 10 times in 2018 the year of 2018 where people thought that maybe there would be like a nuclear war starting with north north korea 
Um, so you know, it was it was a it was a crazy time. It was a crazy time. Yeah, um, and certainly an apt time, as we'll get into with this movie, to be considering your own mortality and what that meant for the world. So that that I exactly. think was the most meaningful uh, connection to this time uh, three decades ago that was also three years ago. Yes, yes. Um, and then the only other event we wanted to mention was there was the, uh, I can't pronounce this, the, the Tam Luang, um, the cave rescue with the, uh, there was a group of, I didn't look up what this was, but a group of uh, young men that there were trapped in a cave. There was a junior association football team. Junior associate, association football team uh, that got trapped in a cave with their, um, with their, their leader, their coach, I assume, um, and they were not heard from for an entire week, and it took ten thousand people working around the clock for uh, many days in order to rescue them. Um, and that kind of uh, connected to me. This was that was about four weeks before this film released in the Toronto Film Festival. Uh, so it had to, you know, anyone that was watching that film probably would have gone in with some amount of um, thought. Uh, towards that event um, and the precariousness of life in, in you know, difficult and extreme natural circumstances. Yeah. All right. So what what was your initial reaction to this movie? How did you find your first viewing? Uh, I, I've, uh, this is, again, I'm at a loss for words because I don't know. I still am working through my response to this film, and I don't know whether I liked it or hated it. Mm. And I, I have been struggling with like how to wrap my mind around this one. Um, one thing that's uh, that I do that's probably a little bit different from most uh, film watchers is I usually break up films in multiple parts. Um, it's easier for me to fit that in through the day, and I watch a lot of films. And so with this one, I watched it in two different sittings. Uh, and it was very hard for me to go back and watch the second sitting uh, because I had finished uh, about halfway through. And I think I got to the part where he is, you know, deciding to go up for that first time and talking to Sonny, his girlfriend. And just it was so difficult for me to watch that stuff and then to think about like the stress of him climbing up that mountain that I had a hard time going back and finishing the second half. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I definitely, I think probably, I, I think they intended that to sort of feel like an act break for the movie because I did, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't take an extended break, but that is, exactly where I paused the movie and got up for a drink of water and, you know, just a, yeah. a quick little reset to make sure I could get through, get through the end of this thing. Yeah. And that was my thought. And then, you know, I had to put the kids to bed and then, you know, a couple of days later, I'm like, I need to go finish that movie, but who I got to prepare myself because it's just, it was 
a lot of anxiety watching this guy climb up the mountain and you know, I purposely avoided reading to see if he you know if he made it to the top I assumed he had but there's that lingering doubt in my mind like what if he didn't and they still put out this film and maybe this is why it got so much press and so much hype is because he died on this thing I had no idea as I was watching it so I just I just waited um, and then watched the film to see the end of this so it was it was an experience for me to watch this one yeah, and my, I think I'm probably a little or quite a bit higher on this movie than you are. I think the the number one thing this film did for me was it gave me insight into a world that I didn't know anything about. And I feel like I learned a lot about that thing. And then it did it while having these absolutely breathtaking shots and also just beautiful beautiful cinematography it really is really stunning and then also having some pretty some stuff that made me think a lot that i'm sure we're going to get into as we get into the movie proper here you know about life and ethics and themes and all that so right yeah i I liked this film a lot. I don't... Documentaries are not, like, my... They're not generally my aesthetic, so it would be hard for this movie to end up in one of my top movies of all time. But I feel like it's probably the documentary I've seen that I've liked the most. Makes sense. There's a, I love documentaries. Um, I'm not as well-versed in documentaries as i am in uh in other films but it it really is an incredibly well-made film um and i think in the end uh after going through turmoil and thinking about it like emotional turmoil i think i'm coming out on the other side uh also like a fan of this movie Mm -hmm. maybe not like a big fan but a fan um and i think it it was really good and i was really glad i'm really glad that i watched it but i was not glad i was watching it in the moment while it was going Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah that does make sense um i like your mention of how well crafted a movie is because i think that segues us really well into our personnel here and there were just a couple people that i wanted to mention the main i don't know if you had any in addition to me but the main two are the two directors here so the first one is jimmy jimmy chin and Mm -hmm. who is present in the movie plays himself or it doesn't play himself but is as himself and so i was sort of confused until I was looking doing some research into the personnel as to how the movie was made but it turns out so it's co-directed by Jimmy Chen and then also his wife Elizabeth Chai Vasher Hali I hope I didn't butcher butcher her name we we did look up how to pronounce it and hopefully I got it right in this take we don't speak Hungarian, and so, you know, we did our best we could. We did, yeah. And so the two of them, she had a pretty successful or at least uh, upward trajectory to her film career before m- meeting Jimmy. Uh, she had 
directed A Normal Life, which is a film that follows three friends following the Kosovo War and the fallout of all of that. And that had won Best Documentary at the Tribeca Film Festival. And then based on the success of that film, she got hooked up with Mike Nichols and worked on the film Closer. And he really took her under her wing, under his wing and mentored her. And then she did another film called Yusun Dor, I Bring What I Love, which is a film about the artist Yusun Dor releasing his album Egypt. This was in 2008 or 2009. And there was a real uh, social activist bent to the album who was trying to make people more pro-Islam or more accepting of Islam in a world that was increasingly anti-Islam. And so I think when when I learned this, that she came from a background of filmmaking, of serious filmmaking and serious storytelling, and he, I didn't really talk about Jimmy Chin, but he has a couple other movies, both of which are about rock climbing, and his background, it seems, really is in rock climbing with some probably camera work and filmography to go along with that and so together they sort of make this super team where he's able to put the crew together to get this amazing fantastic footage and then at least based on the interviews that I watched and the stuff that I listened to seems like she's the real storyboarding expert who was able to put the film into this cohesive structure yeah, that makes sense. He does. He does have uh, several award-winning documentaries that uh, it, most of them are um, involved with National Geographic. So he probably has um, a good working relationship with them. In that's probably how he got involved with this film in particular. Um, additionally, he in an interview that I watched with him, he mentioned that he is a climber first and a documentarian second. Uh, and that's really where his focus is. Okay, good. And so he won't get mad at me for hypothesizing that when he listens yeah. to the show. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, he, he talked about it as really important because his focus is always, number one, is on the safety of the climbers. And the how good the shot is is always a secondary concern, mm. uh, which uh, I think that comes through in this film as well. Uh, and I think it ma- also makes it a better film, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, um, as, as you were, you know, uh, ga- um, going through this information and we had taken a little water break, I, I just thumbed through to look at some of the other work that they'd done. And they had a film that came out six weeks ago. It's called The Rescue, which is about the Tham Laung, Luong Cave Rescue. Oh, no That we kidding. discussed earlier <laughs> in the film. So, the, so they had the film come out, the documentary of that, that story. So I guess it was worth mentioning. Yeah, it must have been impactful for them. Yeah, so... Go ahead. Yeah, that's got to be a document. Like, you can't have that much... Well, they can't have that much live footage of it. I don't know. The the rescue probably had a lot. Yeah, but I mean, would they have been on site for it? Because I guess they were probably wrapped with... If it came, if it happened six to eight weeks before this was released, they were probably wrapped on this movie. So maybe they already were working on it. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's interesting. Uh, n- not a lot of information that we have about that one because it's very recent and uh, we didn't realize it re- realize it until we started recording. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting little detail to add on there. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, did did you have any? There's not a ton of other people to talk about because everyone, you know, there's no actors or anything. But was there anyone else you wanted to talk about before we? get into the meat of the movie here yeah the only other people that are really uh, featured in the film or that really uh, go into this a lot are alex honnold and um and his girlfriend sonny uh but we'll get into to talking about them as we get into the film itself so yeah all right so film proper the first scene that i wanted to talk about is I'd say it's probably about a third of the way through the movie and it's a sequence where he's going through his relationship with his parents and I think this is also at the time where he does the brain scan to figure out if uh, his amygdala, is it amygdala? Uh, I think so, yes. Yeah. I think so. If not, I'm sure someone will let us know uh, if his amygdala is working working correctly or not. And it also is probably the most introspective part of the movie, at least from Alex's point of view. Um, You get a lot of time with Sonny exploring, you know, (laughs) what it means to be involved with someone who could plummet to their death basically any time they go to work. But th- this was really the the deepest dive you got into Alex, where he talks about his how his family wasn't a hugging family and how he had to teach himself how to hug and that his mom is really the one who pushed him and had said that almost is not good enough and to keep striving for perfection and striving to be the best but yeah they go ahead uh and it also mentions that his dad is neuro neurodivergent um and that the he had he talks about his dad with the, that he has a good relationship with his dad but the way the mom describes it is a, it sounds a little bit more fraught mm-hmm. um and so you know it's a it's a relationship um the family relationship was one that is conducive to th- these kinds of experiences that he has if that makes sense yep um absolutely and the the moment that stuck out to me was there were they were doing an uh an interview with him or um i want to say a talking head maybe they are called talking heads um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah they are okay yeah a talking head with him where he's in his in his van and he's talking about how his previous girlfriends or friends have said that you know, if he dies, they would just be devastated. And there's this very real reaction where he basically says, that's not true. And he says, like, if I perish, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you'll find someone else. Like, that's not that big a deal. 
And then the camera just sits there for a couple minutes, a couple minutes, a couple seconds. And he says, I don't know. And you can see him realize, I think, how it sounded coming out of his mouth. And then also how it's going to sound to everyone who watches the movie. And he says, maybe that's a little too callous. Yeah. And it it was a really humanizing moment. And also, I thought it was pretty insightful to who he is and who he has to be in order to be the type of person who is going to go risk his life every every day yeah it's that one really hit me as well when he when he says this and it's i think also he just doesn't it seems like he's just not grasping how much all of these people really do care about him because throughout the rest of the film everybody gets really emotional at different points when they mm-hmm. eat, just think about the possibility of him of him dying and just the um there's one point in the film close to this one where he has a little bit of a fall uh and hurts his ankle and just the idea that he had even a little bit of a fall causes his climbing friends and his girlfriend to get really choked like they're crying on camera um as they're trying to process um the his desire to go climbing and do do all of these things uh the one person that doesn't have like a real strong emotional reaction when they interview her is his mom and uh i i wonder if that contributes to where he's getting this this feeling he's not seeing seeing or understanding a lot of that emotion as he's you know as he's growing up or as he's going climbing a lot of these things are happening where he's not seeing it yeah, and I think one of, it's not present in this scene, but it's also not necessarily present in any of the scenes that we're talking about, so I think it's fine to talk about here. One of the biggest things that they keep talking about over the course of the movie, and I think it's clear that they were conflicted about it themselves, is how how they felt about the fact that they were filming this thing and how mm-hmm. the the per the internal struggle uh on the part of the filmmakers on what what happens if he does die and are we complicit in that and how what can we do to make it as to reduce the chances that he dies by as much as possible but also what can we do to make sure that we aren't the reason that something goes wrong. It was really fascinating to see so much discussion from them about this and the the, eth- the thorny ec- ethical questions with even making this documentary. In fact, Jimmy Chin at one point says, should we even be making this movie? Um, something that that effect. Um, you know, is, is it even ethical for us to be out here and filming this and all the different problems that it could cause? And... Uh, I was glad that they discussed that because those are the questions that I was asking myself as I was watching the film. Yeah, I th- I think that was really smart because I had the same it the same experience that you did. It's it, the first time it comes up is pretty early in the mo- movie. I think it's within the first fifteen to twenty minutes. And yeah, if if it they hadn't done it so soon and probably 
continued to bring it up, it would have it would have been a pretty big stumbling block to to get past for me. I agree. Same for me. Yeah. Do you think they succeeded? Do you think they were able to find a place where, like, you would feel good about it if you were them? It's. I've been thinking. This is one of the ideas that I've been turning over in my head of whether they should have even been out there filming, um, and it's such a like complex human endeavor that he's going under. And the idea of free solo climbing, I don't think that people are just going to stop doing free solo climbing um, if there's no one out there filming it. So it, I think these kinds of things are going to happen. And I think that if that's the case, then it's good for people to get a better understanding of why people would make those choices and the work that's involved in doing it. He talks at one point about how, you know, they aren't expecting kids to go out and uh, and we found that there isn't really a connection between kids seeing um, some violence on television and then enacting that violence. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's understanding also goes into this documentary just because people see uh, these events. I don't think it really causes a higher risk of people doing uh, free solo climbs in a way that's going to be dangerous to them. I think, in if anything, it highlights the amount of work and perfection that goes into doing this successfully. So I think, overall, it is a good choice to film the, the event and then release it, even though it's such a difficult ethical question even to do the climb in the first place or how much they're going to be involved in the climb and the ways that they can film while making it as safe as possible. Yeah, and they definitely don't shy away from how dangerous it is. Um, there, I, I would imagine that fear, the fear of what if we inspire some copycats and unintentionally send some young young humans to their death is probably what inspired the section where they're going through all of the recent deaths by people who, by uh, free solo climbers. Yes, I think so. And yeah, and there's the one moment where Alex basically says like, every climber who climbs free solo, this is going to be how you're going to die. Like there is no, the, there, there's no, growing out of it and then you get to (laughs) retire or whatever you know it's it's how they all go which says every climber that's made free soloing a major part of their career has gone on to die um and then they list so many of them and you know it's it's fascinating and it makes you worry about about him and the work that he's doing and um but at the same time you know it's just a difficult and thorny ethical question about whether he should even be out there yeah the from their point of view i don't from the film from the filmmaker's point of view in terms of alex's life i don't know that i was 
I was really on the fence through the entire movie, as I think they were, and we'll talk about it a little bit during the final climb. Like, they were really, (laughs) really leaned into it. But the thing that finally pushed me over the edge to thinking, yeah, I think they did this the best they could, was in an interview I had watched with them afterwards where they had said that they made a rule there was a rule that they were never going to ask Alex when he was going to do the climb they were just always there and if he did it and they were able to catch it they were going to catch it but there was they didn't want to ever be seen as pressuring him one way or the other either to do it or to not do it and that maybe if you live in that world that's something that is a little less surprising but to me it just seemed like something that seemed incredibly insightful to knowing that in this case the best thing you could do for your friend and someone that you love and care for a lot was just to do nothing to just not let them see all of not let him see all of the preparation and fretting you were doing behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. This That makes sense. And it, it touches on another thing that really stood out to me is they're talking with his friend. I can't remember his name. That's also a climber. Uh, and he says, you know, Alex is going to do this. And so... I want to be there to help him because I'm not going to be able to talk him out of it. So I want to do everything that I can to help him prepare for it. Because if I didn't, then I would feel like I was partially responsible. Uh, And yeah, that's a, that's a heavy thing to have on you um, as the friend working through. And so he just was working through every bit of this climb with him into as much perfection as they could get. Yeah. And that, (laughs) that moment reminded me of the, like the way you talk about a friend who's in, an abusive relationship you know it's like yeah i've done i've done what i can do and all like i have to accept this person's human autonomy and do everything i can within that framework to to be there for them and to support them right yeah it's 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 a tough one yeah uh Do you want to move on to our next scene? Sure. So the next scene is, they call it working the boulder boulder problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think this was my favorite part of the film was just the amount of work. So the boulder problem, what it is, is they, as they're coming up uh, uh, along the mountain, up the, up this wall, there's a spot where it's particularly difficult. There's this boulder that kind of goes around and you, there's almost no handhold. It's just this like teeny little ridge that you can fit just half your thumb onto. (laughs) um, And the little teeny toe hold that you can barely, uh, you know, get your foot onto. And you have to get your thumb on there and then transfer the other thumb over, get across, and then either jump across to another rock or reach out with this, like, karate kick out into open space and try to, like, hit the other wall and get a grasp on it. Uh, 
and they spent a lot of time going through all the meticulous amount of work to get through the this boulder problem. And the thing that stuck out to me the most was he. there's this section where he goes through and talks through all of these steps that go into uh, this this move. Uh, and it's the, the amount of detail and how well he knows every bit of this particular problem and how to do it really just kind of floored me. Uh, and you get this idea of how much preparation goes into solving each of these these difficult parts of the wall that he's climbing up. Yeah, the I had starred this exact section as well. So when when Matt put this scene to talk about into the show notes, I was like, "Oh no, you stole mine!" Because I thought, yeah, I also thought this was the best scene in the movie, and it. It was not something that I had thought about that if you're preparing for a climb like this, you memorize the entire wall and you break it down into sections that are manageable and you figure out the trickiest parts and then you drill them and you have, we see him with his climbing journal and Mm -hmm. explaining the different movements and the but once i saw him doing that and once i understood it i was like of course that like how could i have thought it would be anything other than this it reminded me it reminded me a lot of learning a sonata or learning a difficult piano piece where if you just watch that piano piece it's like oh my gosh how does someone do that how does someone do something like that but it's because musicians break those things down into one bar, two bar, four bar, eight bar sections, and they study those patterns until they know them perfectly and they know everything about them and they know what they are going to bring out here. And that's that's what that felt like to me, which I, of course, that makes sense. If it's someone at the top of their craft that's how they're gonna do it (laughs) yeah yeah i had the exact same thought is literally down to like the uh learning like a very particularly difficult piece of piano um and it's so much of it is so similar because he's learning all of like even where to put his thumbs which is a similar idea to when you're learning to play a uh difficult piano piece yeah it reminded um, me of when i'm figuring fingering out and i'm like well i could cross over from four to three here but then that puts me in uh, in a tricky spot with this next note five notes later. And I was like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's the same. Yeah, yeah. I, if, I, you know, I made that same connection. So. You die if you played a wrong note. That <laughs> yeah, exactly. Play one wrong note and you that, die. Yeah. Uh, other than that, it's the same thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a, and so I went through afterwards, and this is what really helped me come to grips with this film, is I read an article, and we'll link to it in the show notes. I can't remember the name of it exactly. Uh, but it talks about the, uh, the ethics of free solo climbing. Uh, and whether someone should even do this, and there was uh, they go into a big uh, discussion about it. And one of the major conclusion from that uh, that piece, it's a twenty five page piece. If someone wants to go through and read this, but their major conclusion was that overall the uh, ethics of free solo, solo climbing are neutral, 
if the people doing the free solo climbing are willing to put in the work ahead of time to prepare themselves for the, the this incredibly difficult challenge. So if you're willing to put in this kind of meticulous work uh, and go over this over and over and over again, uh, it reduces, and he talks about this in the film, it reduces the risk uh, to a very small degree. Any particular crime is a very small risk. The consequence of that risk, if it goes poorly, is quite high. So the chances you're going to fall off are incredibly low, um, and his chances of falling off in this final climb are just so incredibly low because he's done it so many times. But the consequences of falling, if he were to do that, are so high uh, that it, you know, it, it's our way of thinking of that risk, though, is, uh, is, uh, is, is hard for us to think about that in those terms. So what their final conclusion was, if you're going to do the kind of prep that he does in this film and is very clear that he's doing, then in that case, it's a morally neutral thing and it's uh, perfectly acceptable for someone to go and do this. And I found that paper very convincing. And in this case, uh, the they're referring to the crime being killing yourself? Well, the... It, they even kind of look at that as being more or less morally neutral. So the the harm comes from the um, uh, the the people in your life that mm -hmm. uh, the the loss that they would feel because of that. Um, and so they're viewing like your own personal that you have the choice of what you're going to do with your life, and so you can't really. Um, you know, people have their own autonomy and how they're going to approach that. But we do have relationships with other people and, uh, and our deaths can cause harm to them. Uh, and so if you're doing everything that you can within your power to prepare for this, uh, this thing, then it's not, uh, then it's not any more, um, morally difficult than, uh, any other athletic event, uh, probably, uh, more ethical than, um, playing a game of football, for example. Sure, makes sense. I mean, you're not putting a, anywhere near the amount of preparation Alex or any, presumably any free soloers put into their work to figure out how to not get a concussion, you know. Right, The exactly. majority of your, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that. I don't know. I They probably do actually do some amount of avoidance work, but I I would guess the primary focus as a football player is how to play football <laughs> well there's also a lot of research that shows that uh, a lot of football players actually there's there's a lot of culture in football that's built up around kind of uh leveraging the the uh the um the possibility of a concussion or possible brain injury and um using their helmets to kind of lead with their head and those kinds of things and doing the opposite of what you should be doing yeah and i would guess also the risk of a concussion is higher although the um, consequence is lower right exactly um with that said if you're a free solo climber that's not putting in that kind of work ahead of time then it is like a, a major negative uh ethical um choice that you're making and it's very harmful to you and the uh and the people who love you so yeah makes sense um the other thing i wanted to quickly mention about this scene is I thought it was a really great um, sequence where they overlaid Alex describing all of the things that he was doing mm -hmm. with footage of him doing those actual things. Yes. And yeah. it, 
it gave you um, a bunch of terminology that they didn't spend a ton of time on, but it allowed you to understand it and see it in a way that did not feel academic, but instead just yes. felt integral and exciting. I, I agree. The, um, all of the work that they did to explaining what was going on I think really helps make this movie uh, all of the little overlays and uh, there's there's so many things where someone's talking through what's going on exactly and all of that is really use useful. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything else you want to say about this scene or should we move on to your next one? Yeah, let's move on to the next one. All right, yeah. Uh, so the next thing is uh, the scene where... He decides he's going to go up the mountain the next day. He's still recovering a little bit from a sprained ankle. Um, and his girlfriend, Sonny, is there and he tells her that he's going to go. And then she ends up afterwards driving herself home and then they interview her. And she's in tears as she's going through this interview. And he has a hard time telling her um, that he loves her. He has a hard time even uh, the uh, looking through the score. This one is called uh, the score for this scene is called the L word uh, mm. because he has a hard time saying this to her, and then she ends up leaving, um, and she, it's a really difficult scene, and it's just emotionally kind of fraught. And then he decides the next day he's going to you know go up and he starts going up the climb, and then he backs out of it and decides that he doesn't feel right about it. Uh, and it, uh, it's the last chance that they have to do it for the entire season. Uh, and he basically has to wait until the next year to go over this climb. Um, but it was, that scene really impacted me a lot. Well, I, I thought that she did not drive herself home the first time he tried. Does, does did, she drive herself home? Oh, I can't remember the details. I, of I think one. she, I just remember. Go ahead. I think she drives herself home before the final climb because I remember thinking how strange it was that their routine was different this time. Um, and it made me wonder, like, did, did everyone kind of know he wasn't going to make it that first time? Like, know that he, it wasn't going to be a real attempt? Maybe just, I'm not sure. I I just so I'll I'll describe what I remember seeing, and mm -hmm. it, it's possible that I have the sequence of events. But they they interview her in the car, like as she's um as she's like getting her stuff together and driving home, and she's uh, and so she's crying through that event and talking through how she just you know it's she really does love him and she's so worried about what's going to happen to him. And if she could tell him to just not do it, um, then she would, but she just, you know, can't have him regret having done it because she told him not to. So I remember that conversation. I can't remember exactly where it happens. Yeah. I, I think that's before the second climb, but I'm, I'm sure people, people will let us know. Um, I also loved the that they caught her figuring out that he was gonna go because he didn't yes he didn't want to yeah. tell her and right. 
and she basically had to pry it out from him and it was uh She's like wait, wait are you going tomorrow yeah i think i am right that kind of thing yeah and it, it had come right after he he had said like that he wasn't going to tell her because he didn't want her to know and i I, th- I think that happened before his first attempt that he backed out of. And I, the it all felt very nerve-wracking and scary because it felt like yeah. he was in a place where he was lying to her or lying through deception, and then she called him out on it, and he had to deal with the fact that he was now putting this on her and the mental barrier of worrying about someone else that they had re- that they had referred to over the course of the movie as being something you can't really afford <laughs> when you're dangling up there 2000 feet exactly. from the ground or whatever so the the other part of this one that really just uh stuck in my memory is when she gives him a haircut um mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that's a very simple thing, but haircuts are such an intimate experience. I don't know if this is uh, if that's how you feel about this as well, but you know when some someone cuts your hair, they're just so you know they're they're so close to you, they're they're touching you this entire time, and it's a, a very the way that it's portrayed in the film. I feel like it's portrayed as a very intimate moment. Yeah. Yeah, they, in one of the interviews that I watched, um, Chai, or actually, maybe it was Jimmy, said he came home one day and Chai had said, oh, by the way, I turned our movie into a love story. And he was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I didn't know she was going to do that, but I trust her. So uh, I'm glad she did. And I think yeah. they they did a really good job capturing all of this footage, especially because it was clear how uncomfortable, maybe uncomfortable is the wrong word, but how unsettled it made Alex feel having to deal with all this stuff. And you certainly got the feeling of, like, would his relationship have developed the same way if he hadn't been forced to air some of his emotions on on film it, maybe i'm projecting a little too much and it would have but it felt like the filmmaking pushed him in a way that he would not necessarily have been pushed otherwise emotionally it, that makes sense to me um it's it's hard to to know with that um you know that kind of counterfactual but it's it does seem like it's just that kind of thing where by observing something, you change it. Um, yeah. And it seems, you know, the ingredients that are there that for that kind of mixture to happen. Yeah. Do you want to say anything about this scene or should we move on? To That's the last all I've one? got for this one. All right. Yeah. Obviously the last, the last scene we have to talk about here is the moneymaker. And that's this final climb spoilers i guess you know we haven't ever really said you know if you're gonna listen to our show you're gonna get the whole movie spoiled but (laughs) 
I mean, that's that's what you're that's what you're here for, folks. Yeah. So the there's a lot to love about this final sequence, and I I'm sure having the thought of capturing on film the first and to this date only person to do a free solo climb of El Cap is what sort of drove them, both of them, both the filmmakers and Alex, to want to do this. And it really is pretty remarkable to watch someone do A, a superhuman feat like this, and B, do it for the first time and know that it's yeah never and happened before it's just one of the most remarkable athletic achievements that anyone has ever accomplished and you know they caught it on camera and just thinking about that is uh it's incredible and they really you know it is a beautiful climb and it starts off dark and but he it's it's really interesting because the way that it goes it seems like he's really at peace with that climb as he's mm-hmm. going yeah. and he goes up so quickly too just uh kind of um blows their minds how quickly he's going and the part that i really loved about this is when he gets to that boulder problem and he just you know crushes it yeah. and uh, goes like it's nothing like it's just the easiest thing ever and looks over at the drone camera and yeah, it's like what does he say yeah yeah and so he's like how do you like that so and then goes on with his climb and because he knows he nailed it and he's in the middle he's got his leg out over this chasm as he's going from one rock to the other and he's looking at the camera just like uh bragging about this move that he did just did it was that part's incredible yeah yeah they're definitely um and i'm sure the score helps with this compared to the first time i'm mm-hmm. sure there were some amount of filmmaking techniques they use but it there definitely is a feeling of serenity coming from him for the final climb that then contrasts with the feelings of the crew that they really that they do such a great job of cutting between alex and showing the the one cameraman who just can't even watch can't watch yeah he can't watch it's like and, I can't, I can't, I don't know how the rest of them are watching this. I can't, I can't watch it. So, yeah, and I thought this was smart because I, unlike you, I think I knew he had finished the climb. I get, I guess I had probably heard that somewhere, or um, one of my coworkers, Nicole. This is she loved this movie. She saw it in IMAX like three times. I think she just said it was such a rush, and so I think she probably told me. Like it's the, oh, the first say, to, um, I wish I'd seen this in IMAX. That would have been such a trip. Oh, uh, I'm jealous of that. When I was talking to her afterwards, she was like, the first thing she asked me was, how big is your TV? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah, I that's said, amazing. well, it was big enough because during the opening sequence, I was worried I was not going to be able to make it through the movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah, yeah. The the opening sequence is very, is vertiginous a word? It it, It is now. It is now, yeah. It shows you from the top of the mountain and yeah, yeah, I I felt like I was going to throw up for, (laughs) for a little bit. Yeah, you know, and and so the a little thing for the audience here, I have vertigo, so I get very de- dizzy and nauseous very easily. 
Um, and, you know, there were a few moments in this that really just made me kind of dizzy. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's enough to be seeing it on the movie screen and uh, to keep me in control of myself. But, yeah, this is a very, as you said, vertig- vertiginous uh, shot at the beginning of the film. Yeah, so the because I I knew or I was pretty sure he completed the climb, I thought it was, and I assume a good amount of people who would go in seeing it would also know that. I thought using the crew as the way to add drama to a moment that some amount of people already know how it ends is something that was very clever because they obviously don't know how it's going to end because they're living in the moment. Yes. Yeah. It's true. It's, uh, and it's nerve-wracking. And like I said, I at this point, like with the w- with all the filmmaking things that went into it, that, you know, the music was nice and, it, you know, they were portraying it as nice and peaceful and uh, like they were, uh, the cameraman was like looking away, but they were kind of portraying it in kind of a humorous way. I was like, oh, he's definitely going to make it uh, in this case. Yeah. Or the scene where they show the people like in the, what is it, somebody in like a dinosaur costume? No, a rabbit costume. Um, is it a rabbit? You know, yeah. Uh, I can't remember some animal costume that's just like camped out on the side of the mountain and he goes by them I was like you know I bet he makes it if they're going to show that kind of stuff so so, so crazy I have re- been trying to remove crazy from my vocabulary so I've been using wild instead but then when I've been editing the podcast I've noticed how often I'm saying wild so I don't know <laughs> bananas yeah. yeah it's bananas that they caught caught those costumed so costumed funny. peeps oh, there it's, the it's great one it's thing great. that i was wondering about when i was watching when i was watching it live is how i didn't understand how come in his first attempt he had to leave so early and in this attempt it was not dark when he started his attempt and i was trying to figure out how much of the season change accounted for that because in the first climb the reason he left early was because i think they needed the sun not to be beating in a certain place when he hit the boulder problem it was either the boulder problem or somewhere else that was particularly slick and they yeah. didn't mention that at all for the second run. And when I was, I think the reason is, and they didn't talk about this, but I think he got a lot faster between the first, his first attempt and the second run. Makes sense. He was real fast when he did that last run. He, so. And he was even faster than they expected him to be. He managed yes. to do it in. And the, I, I wish the movie had explained how how fast this was that he did it. Because he did it in four hours. and Just under four yeah, hours. Just yeah, just under four hours. And I believe I saw there have been... So he did free... He free soloed it, which means there's no rope. And I believe there are four other people... Because I was trying to see, did has anyone else free soloed this mountain now that he broke the barrier? And it looks like no. But there are four people who have free climbed it, which free climbing is when you have a rope 
but you never use the rope. So the safety harness right. is there, but um, you it never comes into play. So if you hadn't had the rope, you would have been fine, you know, assuming all the mental stuff works out the same. And I think the fastest person, most of the free climbers did it, I think, over a couple day period. And the fastest one to do it was 23 hours. Holy smokes. And like the the history of climbing this mountain was like the first person took 28 days to do it. And then, uh, and then it was sped up to nine days, and (laughs) And he did it in four hours. Under four four hours. hours. But and then they didn't even mention this because I guess they wrapped the movie instead, like six days after he did this free solo climb, he went with a rope and did the whole thing in under two hours. Holy smokes! Gee. Uh, that's just blowing my mind i just i thought it would i was hoping you hadn't looked it up (laughs) no i hadn't seen that that's that's oh wow what an incredible thing like i said incredible incredible athletic feat one of the most incredible uh athletic feats ever captured on film and what a what a remarkable thing to be able to see yeah, it it's pretty wild. Him and his, I I think it's the same friend who was helping him sort through all of all of the issues and figure out his best yeah. route. With, uh, did it with him after they had done it. I think the name was Tommy. Tommy, yeah, 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 that's that's who yeah. it was. Excellent. Awesome. Oh yeah, what a great film. So I, I've come around. At the beginning, I said I wasn't sure how I felt about it, and now I'm saying it's a great film. So it's a, uh, I must have liked it. Yeah, I, I wonder how. Um, I'm starting to get that feeling of like, man, what's gonna? Is there gonna be a film that we watch where over the course of talking about it, I end up liking it less? Because each of the films <laughs> so far, I feel like I've liked more by the end i guess snow white i liked probably about the same at the end of the podcast is when we started agreed um yeah similar for me so i i guess we will see do you have anything else you want to say about this movie or should we move towards wrapping up no you know it's a i encourage people to go stream this on disney plus it's it's worth watching um you know, it is not for the faint of heart, and I encourage people not to take a break in the middle of a couple of days because that'll that is a stressful experience. Uh, but it is worth sitting down on the biggest screen that you can watch it. Um, it was a fun one to watch. Yeah, just go, uh, just go rent out an IMAX. Good idea. How much can yeah, that love cost? It. Uh, you know, not too much. It's fine. Get a private showing. All right. Awesome. So if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to give us any feedback or just say, hey, that you listen to the show, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Zvazda, Z-V-A-Z-D-A. And you can find Matt at... O-R-A-M-W, O-R-A-Y-M-W. And if you want to give us more long-form thoughts, you can find us at podcast stream it that's those three words no underscores no nothing just podcast stream it at gmail.com and that of course is in the show notes and as i've said before but i'll say again we're we're recording these ahead so they're coming out 
about four weeks after we record them. So there isn't time in our normal recording schedule to do any sort of feedback or anything like that. But if people do write in enough stuff that we feel like we want to address or make sure we didn't get anything wrong on the podcast, we are planning in between seasons to do a mailbag episode, or we have the time blocked out to do a mailbag episode if we uh, get some stuff that we want to say. So don't hold back because we're releasing these asynchronously. Definitely, definitely let us know if there's anything you want to say. And then next week, we are going to be watching Inside Out. Woo! Yeah, I'm... Yeah, exciting. I am really excited about that one. Ooh, uh, so closing questions. And I did want to say, I didn't realize until we released our first episode and some people started responding to just sending me messages with answers to our closing questions that that was probably going to be something that people naturally wanted to do. So definitely hit us up and give us your answers because that really gave me a joy to have have those come rolling on in <laughs> four weeks after yeah, we yeah. asked them. Exactly. Especially the the question, uh, what was your, your Woody toy? And a bunch of people sending in pictures and I don't know, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was really great. Um, so I will go first here. My question for you, Matt, there was something, so there was something about, you know, he just had this thing that he had to do. You know, it was, uh, to reference Sunday in the Park with George, it was his hat that he had to finish, this thing that it didn't matter in his life, you know, could potentially destroy his relationship and whoever he was going to be with, um, it was going to, they were going to have to be okay with it. Uh, So what is the closest thing for you to being your L cap or to be your hat that you have to finish? What is my L cap that I have to finish? Um, You know, every year there's people that try to take this from me. And I fight back against this so hard and make sure that this stays on our schedule teaching. Uh, I teach English, and I insist on teaching Shakespeare every single year. Um, And, you know, it is not easy to teach Shakespeare. Last year, uh, I taught a Midsummer Night's Dream in a pandemic over video streaming to, you know, hundreds of kids. And... It was one of the most challenging things that I have ever done in my life, and the kids actually enjoyed it, which was I miraculous. Yeah. Um, and it is, you know, people really try to get rid of this, and I just believe in it so passionately that I, it, I really fight to keep this in uh, the curriculum. So if you're ever you're wondering, you know, which teacher, teachers are out there fighting to have Shakespeare still on there, that that's me. I'm the one. Um, and uh, so. That that's my L cap for sure. Teaching Billy Shakes, Billy Shakes to the yeah. youth. <laughs> Billy Shakes, you got you know. Uh, right now it's Midsummer Night's Dream or Macbeth or Hamlet, whatever it is that uh, keeping in the curriculum, but always making sure that that stays in there. So, uh, what about you, Zach? Yeah, I would say I 
go in cycles um, where in times where I, every so often, I'll just get absolutely obsessed with a piece of music. Uh, more recently, it's been classical, um, but it's been anything. And there will just be passages that I am just like, you know, we're trying to watch TV or watching a movie, and I am just running through that passage in my head like how am I going to get these octaves clean or oh what if I finger it this way instead or um when when I was a kid I used to uh work on difficult polyrhythms while we were sitting in in synagogue and (laughs) just to try and get the those things to click so I I'd say that is it for me that makes sense yeah it makes sense um it's and it's the answer that I expected to be honest. Yeah, so, I'm I'm gonna have to uh, come up with non-music answers to some of the questions so we don't <laughs> get boring. Um, so the my question is similar, um, but different, and it, uh, but but close in a lot of ways. So my question is, uh, you know, he works on this climb to the point where he has it down completely perfectly, and he has memorized even all exactly where to put his thumb and his toe at each part of this climb. So I'm wondering, what have you done in your life that have you have done with the most perfection? Ooh, okay, yeah, I have a non, non-piano non answer to this. And it is the... I don't know if you've ever played any of the Batman video games. Yes. So in the second one, there were challenge maps that... Um, you could, like after you beat the game and everything, that you could figure out how to beat the bad guys up and try and get like the highest score. And it involved, to max out your score, it, you had to do a bunch of uh, jerry-rigging to make sure you got enough moves in and you were trying not to kill them. You were trying to get as many hits before you killed them and then make sure you kill them. Uh, or I guess you're knocking them out because it's Batman and he doesn't, kill anyone um (laughs) so you're knocking them out with the move that gives you the biggest multiplier and there were a couple of these maps uh at this time my roommate uh and i well i was unemployed i think ken might have also been unemployed um and so yeah it was just uh hours at that video game and figuring out the best possible ways and to to string the moves together yeah we were pretty high on the leaderboards at one point for for a couple of the maps so i love it that's great uh you know i i have a a similar kind of video game one um that i wasn't going to talk about but i'll just mention it briefly uh because you were there for this one and it was uh the string of wins that i had when i was playing uh demir in game Mm, crash mm -hmm. Um, and like streaming it and all of that stuff, um, which was uh, a lot. Uh, it w- what was it? It was something like uh, I can't remember, like thirteen drafts in a row that we ended up winning in a row with that. But um, the actual answer for me though is another teaching related one. I teach every year about the lost generation, and so I have to communicate to my kids about um, the impact of World War One and just how deadly it was on a de- on a day to day basis. So I have this system where I go in and I set up a timer on a loop 
that will go off every 45 seconds through the entire class period. Um, and then it's going and dinging constantly through the class period and the kids are like, what is going on? What is that noise? And it's just soft enough that it's uh, not too distracting, but just loud enough that it's that they notice it. Uh, and then I go through and talk about the casualties and all of those things and then get to the point where I explain that during World War I, uh, American uh, troops lost, uh, um, on average, a soldier every 45 seconds. Oh. Um, and so being able to, like, go through this discussion and I have to get through the entire discussion in the 45-minute cla uh, class period that I have and then trying to, like, aim this so that I end this revelation right before one of these alarms goes off and dings. So then I say about every 45 seconds, Ding. it dings, and then I wait 45 seconds for the next one to go without saying anything, just in silence. And um, it's I've, I've taught this... Uh, whew, how many times would this be? Um, I've taught this lesson probably 20 or 30 times, uh, somewhere in that range. Uh, so a lot of practice in getting this, but getting it down perfectly really is just, it evokes a really great reaction. Then I can talk about the lost generation and the impact that World War I had on them, all of those things. Yeah, that is, uh, I mean, 45 minutes is a lot shorter than four hours, but uh, it's a lot longer than my uh, two and a half minute video game sequence, so... <laughs> but probably, uh, probably you know, similar amounts of work actually going into it to get it to perfection like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right. So that'll wrap it, up, wrap it up for this week. And we'll chat next week for Inside Out. Sounds good. We'll see you. Bye.